Guys, we're in the middle of the pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. All right, Quadcast Nation, we have one of our returning guests. I don't even, I can't even keep track of how many appearances. Michelle Sorensen, psychologist, clinical psychologist, solving wellness enthusiast. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Great to see you. And before that, I should give a little preamble about solving wellness people. This is our way of addressing burnout within healthcare. You know, we've seen how many are are burned out and this is a way of dealing with this in the best way we know how on a virtual format where you have access to workouts, yoga, um, stress management, cooking classes, nutrition tips, productivity tips, and it's all under one roof. We're up to about 200 members and growing. So so sign up, solvingwellness.com. Uh, you won't regret it. All right, Michelle, we asked you to come back because of what I've, I've personally been seeing, not only on social media, but also, you know, front lines where people seem to really be not only burned out, but having that compassion fatigue. They're just, you know, especially when it comes to, seeing patients that have COVID, those that are un- un- unvaccinated, there's just this real, you know, the, the, there's not the same level of compassion or empathy that was, you know, a time ago. And so I, I thought we would just discuss like how best to address this, you know, in, amongst us so that we can better serve our patients. It's a great topic, I think. And I definitely, you know, I, I am in healthcare as well. And also I work with a lot of clients uh, who are in healthcare and really value that part of our community. But I mean, I think we just have to start with self-compassion for ourselves in healthcare to say that, you know, this really, like, it's just such an extraordinary situation, this whole, I mean, it'll be two years feels like before we know it. Um, So like just to stop for a minute and think about what, 
so many parts of healthcare, especially the frontline hospital settings and pharmacies and places where people really had to put themselves out there when we didn't know for sure who the at-risk groups were and, you know, all those like kind of layers of worries. Um, but then even just stepping back and looking at healthcare at large, I mean, just for the level of stress within the healthcare system and for patients and separated from family members, but then every individual who's doing that work has their own pandemic stresses, right? Their kids are out of school or maybe even loved ones who were sick. There's just, I think when you look at the amount of suffering everywhere, everyone's got their tipping point and no wonder people at various points are like, just kind of reaching a time where they don't feel like they have as much to give. But I do think it's important to talk about it because I think for healers and helpers, that's actually so disconcerting when you're not yourself that way, when you normally really feel compassionate, right? Yeah, these are really good points actually about the self-compassion piece because yeah, there is the stuff you, you need to address or the stuff that you've seen at the hospital, but then as you said, there's there was stressors at home. Like I could think of a few of our, our, our staff that had that had loved ones in long term care. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of us had dealt with the school scenarios, um, maybe had some COVID scares within the families. Like there's so many added pressures when it came to this whole pandemic. And it's a good, it's a really good point that, that that needs to be highlighted that, you know, um, even there, there were, there were stresses outside. Like there, there was even that much more need to have that, a, a, a level of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I remember it was around this time last year that I went to a few funerals for parents of friends of mine. And, you know, both those friends were not frontline healthcare, but working with parts of the government where it was just flat out all the time, like Zoom calls on weekends or long hours. And that's a good example, right? Like they they have these huge personal losses of their own, but you got to keep going or maybe they take a little time off and contributing. So yeah, it's so true. There's just, I mean, the normal suffering in life that we can't get away from, like being alive means we encounter trauma. That normal trauma has continued, but then with this just these extraordinary circumstances, the loss of structure, again, of like school and going to work, like everything kind of upside down. Yeah, routine. So. Yeah, your routines. It was almost as hard to remember what pre-COVID routines were at some points during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, luckily, we're close to that now. But wow. Yeah, these are the very good points, um, Michelle. So, just the loss you know, of community, right? Like I think when you look, a lot of people in healthcare are people who like connection and mm-hmm. they need that sense of community. And even for all of you in your work settings that are masked all the time, like all of it does, I mean, I understand it's been important, but it gets in the way of things like smiling at each other and things that help people's mental health, right? So. Yeah, no, it, it's true that community I mean, it's just it's such an important part of wellness. Like we were at a uh, a hockey tournament this weekend, and I literally, when we were all together cheering on our, uh, you know, our team, I, I did get a little bit of weepy eyed because it was like this hasn't happened for so long, and the boys have missed this opportunity. Like these are memories that you you can't 
that you'll never forget. You, you know, having that many people cheering your every shot, goal, yeah. save. And um, yeah, it just made me really, uh, well, it made you cherish the moment, but also uh, more in the fact that this was lacking so for so long for us and our kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, I think if you look at our workforce, a lot of healthcare workers who are at the prime of their career, like in leadership positions, like in a position to really make an impact, it's also the busiest years, right? They have Mm -hmm. aging parents, or as we said, like losses in your family of young kids to raise. And so, yeah, when you look at that incredible amount of pressure or for young colleagues who need mentorship and learning, and they're just like in the fire right away and everyone's so stressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's fair. It's not the same uh, when there's less bandwidth for mentorship and and fostering when you're in a time of crisis. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very good points. So. So you're going to say some. Well, I was just thinking that. So, like, let's start for people listening who are in healthcare or another stressful sector like education or, you know, places where just the demands feel overwhelming. I think, yes, starting with that self-compassion and then just kind of like the neuroscientific understanding that like we all have our breaking point, right? Like we, so even if, I mean, people in healthcare often are nurturing people who you know, people in other sectors might be like, oh my God, I mean, people have said this to me. I don't know how you listen to people's problems all day. Well, we're all wired different. Like, I love that. It makes me feel good to do my work. Whereas, you know, I would look at an accountant an accountant or engineer and be like, oh my God, how do they do that all day? But they love it. But anyways, just the nature of healthcare people and teachers and people who love helping is that for them to feel a disconnect, like they don't have compassion left, um, or for other healthcare workers to see it in their friends, like to hear, I don't know, maybe them speaking in a way they wouldn't normally about patients or, you know, I mean, sure, everyone always vents, but maybe different behaviors coming out. I mean, that can be a little bit traumatizing in itself. So I think it's important to just start with trying to forgive ourselves if we're at that point or forgiving others that you know, these are extraordinary circumstances. Mm-hmm. So number one, yeah, forgiving ourselves, really having that understanding, like these are extraordinary circumstances. Because they really, I mean, as we mentioned, these are truly it's crazy. Yeah, like we've gone through other crises, crisis, I don't know, the crises. Yeah. I don't know the plural <laughs> of crisis uh, before, but obviously not, nothing like this. So, so yeah, that's right. So you take those steps. Is there like is there anything else that you, we could be doing to kind of um, get us into a more compassionate state? Well, so I think it's different for everyone. I can kind of reflect on some of the things I see being helpful for people, but maybe again, that's where like the self compassion and just the self appreciation needs to start. So say someone has actually really powered through the last year and a half. And they're, and then all of a sudden they're hitting a breaking point now, or they hit a breaking point in, you know, May or June, like, especially for people now, I think they might be like, why now? Like the fourth wave hasn't turned out to be so bad. The third wave was the heaviest. Um, Like, 
well, there's no right or wrong time. And again, like if people can try and just be accepting, like this is the way it is, this is what I'm going through now. Can I, in the face of that suffering, recognize that something needs to shift, you know, that I, I need to take care of myself. And I think that the way people do that, whatever works for people is great, right? Like there's no, I saw something the other day on uh, online where someone was talking about like, oh, don't pretend yoga is therapy. Like they're not, it's not a clinical, you know, there are methods like CBT or EFT that work. And I was like, no, I don't think I agree with that. Like not to, you know, criticize that person, but like I'm all for whatever works for you. Maybe one healthcare worker starts going to one yoga class a week and they learn to breathe and they get more in touch with their body. And then they find themselves like at first, I remember years ago, I was like this with yoga. I was like eager to get out of the class at the end. And then you start noticing you stay in Shavasana longer and you're meditating a bit before you know it. Maybe you're meditating a little bit in the mornings, like whatever journey people have to feeling better is great. I mean, last spring I was starting to burn out a little bit and I got a puppy and it's amazing. It's the best therapy I could ask for. Like it worked for me, you know? Yeah. It's, I, I like this. It's like find your lack of a better word, your huckleberry. What what's going to get you back to where you need to be? Because you know, the more I think about it, there's so many of us that are they're leaving the profession. Actually, like those have been at one of my sites is a, or rejecting yeah. right people who yeah. a full time nurse. It's like I'm just going to work part time, like. And I know people have to take care of themselves. Now that's often, yes, it may be compassion fatigue, but it's sort of like the stressful work environment can lead to complete burnout, right? And in the hospitals, I think for sure we're seeing this. Um, Whereas the compassion fatigue, if we catch it early, we don't have to get to total burnout, right? Right. But yeah, this is a great reason to work on it. So we don't lose people. And I can't remember if we said this. Yeah, I think it was before we started, but that's an early sign that typically would be an early sign of burnout, right? Where you're starting to like be your, 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 your compassion starts to fizzle away a little bit. Like that's, that's another important point, actually, that if you're noticing that in yourself or your colleagues are noticing it in you, that's a, that's a, that's a flag, yo. That's a, that's a, a signal that we got to maybe rethink things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, yeah, it's no wonder that people are burning out, but I really do believe there are tools that people can use to help prevent that. So one thing that's mm. kind of interesting that um, I've seen articles on over recent years is sometimes people get into this, I guess, in psychology circles or mental health circles looking at the difference between empathy and compassion. So empathy is really putting yourself in someone other, someone else's shoes, trying to understand their sort of experience. And compassion is like facing and seeing suffering and, you know, sort of being there, like trying to observe and provide some comfort to suffering. And I think that's kind of an, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it's splitting hairs, like the two overlap a lot, but maybe that's something that might resonate for some people that are feeling some compassion fatigue is that if you find yourself too much trying to figure out other people or trying to put yourself in their shoes, um, 
And then that stays with you and you're thinking about them later after work. You know, we don't have to honor all losses and patients by taking them home with us. Like you can be a very compassionate, caring healthcare or helping professional and you can do your job and be there in the moment and then you can let it go. Right. And I wonder, too, some of the anger we're seeing in society these days really comes from everyone kind of trying to control how other people feel and think. And in a way, I don't know if that's that empathy thing, like, or if it's somewhat related. So, for example, in my office, I see people with all kinds of different beliefs and experiences of COVID. And if I was experiencing compassion fatigue and I was really burnt out, maybe I was too busy and not using my tools right then I might like, I could easily get frustrated by people who think differently than me, right? Or, you know, I mean, like some people last year, like you and I felt it was very important that kids were in school. And some people actually felt very differently, you know, like there are people who still have their kids at home and don't send them. But if I want to feel compassion for people at all ends of the spectrum, it's to really let go of the need to like there's nothing to fix there, you know, like we just kind of provide space, we provide compassion and we can kind of just let that part go. If that makes sense. It's a bit hard to put into words. Yeah. I think what I'm saying, what I'm hearing is like, we don't need to convert or don't need to maybe convert's the wrong word. Maybe we, we don't need to, I guess what I'm hearing is like, you don't need to invest so much. Yeah, that's a perfect way of putting it. That's what I would suggest to people who are feeling like they're at their tipping point. They don't feel quite like themselves. It could be physically that they're like on edge, agitated, like their nervous system alarm bells are on. But it could be too through their communication. They see signs of it. I think, yeah, that's it. Like don't invest so much. I know you always say like, we're here to serve, but maybe people taking a little bit of pressure off themselves about like trying to fix it all. Right. Yeah. No, and I'll I'll say personally, this has been a salvation for me, for me, like straight up, like realizing that you can't fix everything. You can't be involved in everything. Yeah. You got to pick your battles. You, 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 there's only so much emotional bandwidth, like, oh my God, when, you know, in the heights of all of this, whether it was schools, whether it was inequalities, whether it's people, you know, treating um, people inappropriately based on their vaccine status, like there's so many battles and, but you really just gotta, you, you can't be invested in all of them. Otherwise mm-hmm. you will burn out. You will, uh, exhaust that compassion side of things. So I, yeah, I think and people don't points. like being told what to do, right? Like this yeah. is common. We see it with kids, but it's so true for adults too. When we, and this is a big part of the motivational interviewing style, which has been very successful across healthcare, people with addictions, like the Heart Institute has used it for smoking cessation. I worked with that group when I was at the Heart Institute. The idea with motivational interviewing is that you roll with resistance You know, you don't, you, and you kind of hold back on what we call your writing reflex. Lots of us in healthcare, we want to make things right. Like that's our drive. And probably, you know, you could do a lot of psychoanalysis on how that started in a lot of people. Um, But it's, it's a, it's a really like 
kind of misguided instinct that a lot of, again, helping profession, professionals and healers have like, oh, if I just tell them this, this, and this, you know, then it'll be better. But sometimes like just plant seeds, you know, just give a little information. You don't have to get an answer out of people. Like often if you see them later, you'll find out it had an impact. But I think that that really non-aggressive, just, you know, share a little information, show compassion, reflect back what someone says and show that you're trying to understand their perspective. Right. Yeah. Well, we know this is effective. We, the motivational interview style, like there was the rollout of a program in Quebec to enhance child vaccinations. And it was, the results were impressive. Actually, I tried to get the guy that started the program on the show. I still, I'll I'll find you. Um, (laughs) But uh, no, and then I was reading about this on Adam Grant's book. um, What's it? Oh, it's such a good book. Rethink? No, it's something. Mm -hmm. Think again. Think again. Everyone needs to read that, by the way. We'll put links in the show notes. It's a game changer. But uh, yeah, exactly. Like it, it's it, just having that that perspective of I'm not going to change your mind right now based on my factual approach. I'm going to have that empathetic, compassionate lens, listen, and show that I'm listening, and then just have a discussion about some of these things and yeah, legit a, a success like a successful evidence based way to. Um, you know, help people see the, the advantages of, of, uh, you know, different interventions. So yeah, it's really recognizing that change happens in stages, right? That there's pre-contemplation, mm-hmm. contemplation, preparation, like you're not just, yeah, it's not just like a two second process where all of a sudden people are like, oh, I'm going to quit smoking. Oh, I'm going to get mm-hmm. the vaccine. Oh, I'm going to like, yeah. you know, lose weight. Like people need time to make change time and also like trust they want to be able to know that you know you care and that you're listening yeah it's a it's a uh not to go too uh, too much off a tangent but like it's like the foundation of healthcare. it's the foundation of public health all of that is on trust so um yeah sometimes i, I think we're forgetting about that you yeah know what i mean Yeah, no, I mean, there's been research, right, that has shown like a little bit of extra time, like you don't cut a patient off, like in doctor's offices, this unfortunately happens a lot, right, that patients are interrupted. And there's been research done that shows that if you let them finish talking, they're not going to usually go into a half hour tangent. And Mm -hmm. that if doctors are more empathic, um, and other healthcare too, that actually you're more likely to get results. I always remember this one um, book I read where, and because I have diabetes and I work in the diabetes field, I found it fascinating. It wasn't a book about diabetes, but this doctor happened to cite research that, and I don't know the details of the study, but it showed that patients with diabetes that had a high empathy doctor had a 40% lower like incidents of complications long-term. Um, and it was just, and again, without remembering all the details of how the study was done, because that is important. Um, but just amazing. Like if a medication came out that reduced diabetes complications that are a huge tax on our healthcare system and it's actually empathy, right? But um, yeah, it can be hard sometimes in healthcare. 
but it can be. But to be honest with you, we see it all the time that better communication mm -hmm. leads to better results, mm -hmm. leads to better patient experience. Patients are more motivated. Like all, everything gets better when there is that empathetic, compassionate stand. And uh, totally, so I'll just share one quick story from many years ago when I first came to Ottawa and was working with a lot of um, like young adults with type one diabetes. So the diabetes teams will often, when they're a bit stuck with the case, refer for adjunct support. And this young woman was very dedicated to working with me and her team, but so not ready for change on a very outdated insulin approach, like not multiple injections. Anyways, eventually, like she moved through different stages, overcame fears, and her team was thrilled. She even went on the insulin pump and like updated technology. And I remember her telling me, me saying, wow, how did you do this? Like what made the difference? And she said the biggest thing was her diabetes educator or her doctor, well, kind of both saying, we will give you our pager number whenever you need us. We're available. Like we're here for you. I guess that was her educator. And the doctor was like, I'll meet with you every week if you need me to. This is unheard of in diabetes care, right? And she shouldn't use either of those options, but she said that warmth and compassion, like feeling like, they actually really cared. That was what made the difference, you know? Absolutely. I, I love that story. And literally life-saving. Like I've worked with young women like that, that are headed, like they are not going to live a long, healthy life, right? Like if we don't get things on track. So yeah, it's so right. often the support, you know? But that's the power of compassion. And, and that, that's why I, I, that's why I wanted to have you on because you know, I, I don't want our patients to suffer. And I, as a result of, you know, a lot of us being burned out and what have you. And, you know, if we can prevent, you know, whatever percentage of us being going down that road, I honestly, I think will directly impact patient care. I think that there'll be better outcomes, better results, better experience for our patients. So, yeah, like, and then they're more likely to adhere to advice, like the stories we yeah. talked about, right? Like, they are more likely to follow direction. So things like, I don't know, a patient that's just had a heart procedure. I remember hearing these stories at the Heart Institute and their prescribed medication, like anti-clotting or whatever. We like people don't stay if they don't follow advice. It can like reverse everything that's being done. But we know so much of it is the power of, oh, I'm going to be going to see my doctor or my nurse or whoever. And I know they care. I want to be like, I want to have done my homework, right? Like that sense of kind of mutual responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, not to tie everything to COVID, but even when I, I've, I mean, I get a lot of unvaccinated people reach out to me and I'll tell you, the stuff when they make their decision, I mean, a, a good percentage of the people will decide to get vaccinated and, and it's not, I, I have a feeling it's not that much based on just the facts. It's the, it's the fact that there's someone there that's willing to listen, to hear their concerns and validate them. Cause you know, I believe it or not, people, some people have like valid concerns when it comes to some of this yeah. and and, you know, and then because of because of that approach, a lot of people getting vaccinated. And I, I, this is why I think, you know, 
I do want to continue to preach like, you know, yeah. carrot over sticks because this Honestly. is you know, where let's establish that trust. Yeah. Like really establish that trust because that's a long term game. Yeah. That will benefit uh, things overall. But uh, yeah, like I I've like- actually heard a few people say to me that if people they knew with what they see to be valid reasons for exemptions, we're getting exemptions, like with some of these job mandates, like whether it's pregnancy or they live with an autoimmune illness. I've heard people say, if those people were getting exemptions, then maybe I'd trust the vaccine and the process. But they're actually being like, I have had a few people share that with me, that that's what scares them is they feel like, well, what you said, like carrot versus stick, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're taking a a very different approach right now to all of this. And uh, it'll be interesting. I hope we have a lot of research over time to see where we land, right? Uh, I think the, uh, I still think when we, I don't know how many years from now, five to 10 years, when we look back, we'll be like, there were so many things we would have approached differently yeah. um, to get us home. But um, yeah, it's uh, a conversation. It's crazy for another time. Group. That's for yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah. So, it, so in summary, if I, I might say so, Michelle, like take care of ourselves reach out for help. We should also mention reach out for help if you, you feel like you need it, eh? Like, um, yeah, so I wanted to say with that, that I think, again, if people are in leadership positions, if, um, you know, maybe as well, they have a lot of connections in the community and it can feel like it's hard to go to someone for help, you know, but just know that there are good confidential places. Certainly I'm happy to connect anyone as much as I can to, you know, a good therapist or whatever kind of support people need. I mean, even probably for some people, it's maybe going to a registered massage therapist to get like support or going to physio and chatting. If you've had an injury that you haven't been taken care of, like it's not just about uh, psychology and psychotherapy. But I do think it's so important to emphasize that telling your story matters, because I think for some rational scientific thinkers, they might be like, well, I'm here. You know, I felt relieved when I got my vaccine um, and I was working frontline or now it's been six months since I got the vaccine and I'm okay. Why? Why now? What good does it do to talk about it? But what we see with, you know, you can have compassion fatigue and that can start to, you know, blur into trauma. And there's definitely overlap in this situation. A lot of us have different traumas we've been through. But I think that, you know, talking it out and telling your stories is what prevents PTSD. Like it's what prevents disorder and like long-term effects where we don't go back. Mm. So really like expressing yourself, like making sure to not bottle up that shit and and find some outlet like yeah uh, and it could be that you have like a work friend you start going for walks with and both of you talk but it also could be that you need to be with a professional where you know it's like a lockbox a safe space um and i think that so many people are surprised by what a difference it makes just to tell your story like maybe tell your whole story, go back to the beginning of the pandemic, talk about what it was like for you. And what I often say is then we start connecting the dots. And when that comes out for people where they start, you know, connecting how they're feeling now to what they've been through insight can really lead to change. Like we can see Mm. symptoms reduce. 
Um, I mean, sometimes two people might need to go the medical route. Like definitely, I think there's plenty of uh, medication being prescribed during the pandemic for mental health too. That's obviously not my job, but it's good for us to say that's okay. If people mm-hmm. need that, that's another tool, but along with therapy and like whoever is a support for you. Right. Yeah. 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 Having that uh, confidant, having that support network, never been a more important time, I would say uh, for a lot of healthcare providers, Michelle. Yeah, and kind of like can be a bit humbling, but also a really great experience to be on the other side, right? Like, what's it like to be the one receiving support? That That's a really good experience for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Man, like, as usual, Michelle Sorensen, <laughs> knowledge being thrown everywhere. Oh, thank you. Like, honestly, thank, thank you, you as, as always for agreeing to, to do this. Um, I know it's going to, it's going to affect a lot of people. I think I'll be influential for a lot of people that, you know, I've heard, uh, like, uh, struggled during this time and, you know, we still have, you know, it, it was timestamped this, this is October 24th, but we still have, you know, quite a ways like this, been, like this virus isn't going anywhere. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to have some lasting impact. So whether we're in the, the, the throes of it or doing these micro, waves microwaves <laughs> um we're gonna have to deal we're gonna have to deal with this so like i honestly thank you so much well, for and that's part of it is dealing with all the uncertainty is really hard for people i think that's where it's the grief and the anger Actually, kicks in about that right like if i'm being honest i think that's a big one too like i think for people that i see like you know you have a couple admissions into the icu with mm-hmm. with covid's unvaccinated and you're, you're thinking oh is this going to be the beginning of more like, what is it going to look like a week from now? Is, is it going to recreate some of the tra- trauma, PTSD that happened in the previous waves? Yeah. You know, so I think I think that's that's a great point is the uncertainty. Yeah. You know, the, and trying like when there's a quieter period or a period where you can create space for healing for some people that might be going to a cottage or for other people, it might just be like few extra days off or going to more yoga, like whatever it looks like, like if you can create more healing, think of that as kind of building up your reservoir again. And I guess the last thing I'd want to say is just, if anything, you and I have talked about here, like one little worry I have is people might recognize themselves and be like, Oh, that's me. I haven't been as compassionate. I haven't been as nice. Like please don't feel shame. It's just a normal part of, I think this is a huge learning experience for all of us. And I mean, I know for me in my 20 years in mental health, like nothing tested me like, you know, last year, it just was such a different time to be practicing. Mm -hmm. So if people notice they're not themselves, like, please try to, you know, name it. If you feel shame or guilt you can name it, but then to try and move past that and say like, there's no need to hang on to it. Anyone in these circumstances would have bad times, you know. Yeah, and, and if I've on uh, a personal note again, like just the thing that's probably helped myself throughout these tough times, not just in pandemic. Well, during the pandemic, not so much the, the the medical side, but just the outside of the hospital walls has been the the self compassion. To be honest with you, like yeah. that to me, if you could tell yourself you know, it's okay that the 
for example, the kids have watched three hours of TV right now because you, you're spent. Like it's yeah. just to be able to forgive yourself and say, this is okay. Yeah. Um, We're getting takeout again. So be it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like th- that to me has been the one out of all the kind of, you know, things you hear about the advice that to me has been the one that's been a, of such significant help because, uh, yeah, it's a lot of us tend to beat ourselves down when we're not performing or at our mm-hmm. where we want to be. Yeah, there's yeah. such a like, how do I push through versus what do I let go of? And I think, yeah, yeah along with the self-compassion is self-appreciation. Like, say someone's had a super hard week or even just a really hard shift and you're driving home from work or you're heading out and, you know, you feel that kind of like you're drained if people can then think, okay, what did I accomplish today? I did my best. I contributed. And you know, like it sounds so obvious, but so many of us are really not good at doing that. Like it really just, you know, truly giving yourself what you'd give to someone else you appreciate. So I think that goes hand in hand. Yo, that's a great point. People like all you healthcare providers that are out there, think about what you do on the day to day. I, I was at, I did, um, I was on call a couple of weekends ago and the amount of hustle the group did to try and save a patient that unfortunately passed away, mm-hmm. how we came together, the emo- it was a, an emotional loss. The patient was relatively young, but w- what I, I was so proud of the group. I was yeah. so proud of, you know, we had a problem. We focused, no one was complaining. They just did everything they can to try and get the patient through and be so supportive to the family. Um, it was a negative outcome, but I, I'm like, afterwards, I'm like, you guys hold your head high. Like what you, this was the way you did today was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable that you guys can work together like a team. Like, cause the next time somebody comes through that's on the the brink, I know that they're in that much better shape because because of you guys, because yeah. of the, the work that you've done. And so it's a, it's a really good point too, Michelle is sometimes you got to, in those times where you get to self-reflect, it's the work that we're all doing is unbelievable. And, yeah. and, it, and it really remember each that. other, right? Like we, we need to do that so much. I mean, leaders need to do it for their mentees and the more junior people, but vice versa, like for people to say to their manager, like your support means a lot, you know, thanks for, you know, helping me out with that. I mean, just, the more one person does it, the more the other things to do it. And the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is people practicing it outside of work, right? Like that's a great way to practice. I mean, people with young kids, you know, you survive the day and you're like, wow, we got groceries done today and we tied it up a bit and the kids played outside, like good for us. And that's something I recommend to a lot of my clients, like try and focus more on what you did. Cause yeah, we're just not good at giving ourselves credit today. I took uh, my youngest daughter there, Sam and a friend out to the pumpkin patch. And it was sort of like a goal I had for this weekend. I'm like, I want to really, it's so nice. We're doing Halloween again this year, right? Like most people pretty much missed it last year. Nothing really happened in my neighborhood. Um, so we're, you know, trying to like step it up a bit but it can be so hard to do those things. Right. But we went out and then we ended up going and getting decorations somewhere. And then we decorated the doorstep 
And I actually like, it's kind of, it's good for me. I have to practice it too. Like I said out loud to my husband later, we we're going on a walk and I'm like, you know, I'm really glad I made time to do that. Like that was a goal this weekend and I did it and it was fun. And so, yeah, like then when we do that, we can be like, oh, look at me practicing self-appreciation, you know, <laughs> build on it. Yeah, it, that is going to be one of my um, other um, lessons that I take away from this is that self-appreciation and give props when props are due. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's so important. Uh, every time we leave these conversations, Michelle, I feel that much better about, uh, you know, humanity because uh, I, I do think we're, we'll be in a better spot as we progress through this and uh, once again people listen and I know this is going to mean a lot to them so thank you once again oh, Michelle. thank you I appreciate it I mean thank you for bringing so much psychology into your platform and what you do because I think psychology and medical care just intersect in such an important oh. way so thank you you could blame my wife. <laughs> you've got the best in your corner there. Yeah, absolutely. She, every, every time uh, the problem comes up, have you thought of the psychological uh, component yeah. of this? You know how much anxiety is happening in along these lines? Yeah. Like it's ingrained. It's going nowhere, yeah. but uh, yeah, for sure. Thanks again, Michelle. Okay. Have a good night. Qualcast nation. As per usual, Michelle throwing down knowledge i hope you guys enjoyed that follow us on instagram youtube twitter at quadcast leave any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com you know about solving wellness solvingwellness.com sign up today as we continue to change that boogie and don't forget leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast helps with the visibility of the show as we try and change that boogie Thanks again, everybody. We're going to connect again real soon. Stay safe.